Hello everyone and welcome back to SciSection. I'm Halima, your journalist for this week, and today we are delighted to have Lucas Chu. Lucas is a sophomore at Harvard University and is most notably the founder of the Coronavirus Visualization Team. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to get started, could you give us an overview of your background and the type of studies that you're pursuing at university? Sure. Uh, I was born in Germany to Taiwanese parents, moved to New York when I was five. I uh, went to an international international school, then public school, then a Catholic school, and now at Harvard. I originally applied and wanted to do computer science with the idea that I wanted to use artificial intelligence to fight climate change. So use one existential problem to fight another. Uh, and I found I didn't really like computer science too much. Uh, really, the programming, the theory is interesting. Um, but now I'm still deciding what uh, major I'm going to do. And I'm currently thinking uh, between economics, statistics, and history of science. Mm, that's super, super interesting. And so the coronavirus visualization team is an organization that you've created. And as somebody who's been a part of it, I've really been able to appreciate the type of work that you're doing. For our listeners tuning in who could be interested in it, what is CVT exactly? Yeah, so the coronavirus visualization team is uh, student-based, so completely student-run, led, and organized. Uh, intercollegiate, so international, global, available, inclusive organization to try to fight the infodemics. What this means is trying to use public information and private information from our partners to visualize coronavirus, so visualize the effects of the pandemic so that we can get all this information out to the people where they might not see this niche uh, understanding and niche data, uh, or they might be getting information from other mainstream media sources which uh, with their own visualizations don't necessarily represent uh, a whole objective truth just because visualization is an art and no matter like how you do it, there's always gonna be a bias. So as you know, students, we, we can be independent and learn uh, and really try to provide another uh, objective voice uh, with all of the you know, visualizations that are currently being published all the time. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that as students and kind of producing these work, this work as students, there's less bias. How do you try to approach that when a lot of news companies, for example, they have their individual bias trying to represent their agendas, for example. So what's CVT? What do you think is different about it that makes it less biased compared to others? Well, first, we are very um, truly data first. So we're going to uh, look at the context of where we are getting the data, so the source. And we're also very question centric, seeing what really is the impetus for making this visualization? What sort of value are we providing? And by looking at the context and what we're trying to provide, uh, we're trying to, one, make it simple so that you know people can understand it, but the, at the same time, incorporating as much of the original data as possible with caveats. So with uh, our descriptors and our uh, understanding of what is the data missing and what is it actually you know, incorporating. And the way we can do that is, of course, having multiple guidelines and um, sets of eyes at every step of the process. Mm -hmm. That's definitely really interesting. And I guess when the pandemic started and a lot of undergrads were kind of struggling with all of the sudden changes, at that kind of really weird time, what pushed you and kind of um, inspired you to create this organization? Yeah, so as far as startup stories go, it's pretty innocuous. Um, Basically, I was in an MIT group chat and someone was saying, hey, I have Georgia coronavirus data. Um, does anyone have experience with all these you know, data analysis tools? I didn't, but I was interested. So I downloaded Tableau for the first time and found that, you know, one, this data wasn't available online. Um, two, it was really easy. And three, it just looked cool. So I realized that a lot of my friends also had an interest in this. 
I wanted to connect and learn more. So I figured I could have a much larger impact if I brought people together rather than just going off by myself and, you know, spamming out uh, graphics. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anybody listening in, Tableau is a really great place to start with DataViz. That's what I know where I started and it's super duper easy to learn how to do and it creates some really, really cool things. Um, but I guess moving back into CBT, um, you basically had a really, really large outreach with researchers pouring in from basically like every continent. Why do you think um, the organization has had such a global appeal and how insightful has it been conducting research from locations that are super duper different? I think we're really lucky to be in this time that now, you know, University of Melbourne, uh, Manipal Institute of Technology, um, ETH Zurich, they're all universities that normally are thousands of miles away, but now they're just the time zone away. It's just, you know, a message away. So everybody is just as close to, to each other as pretty much almost anyone. So we are so globally available because, you know, Slack, Zoom, Discord, Tableau, all these tools we're using aren't location specific. It's all agnostic to that. So that means, uh, you know, if you can speak English, you can get involved and you don't even need to. Of course, we have guides and information, uh, tons of different languages. And I think we have such global appeal because coronavirus is such a global problem. And then visualization is also, you know, very understandable. We see it all the time. Um, And any insights we've gotten from doing it internationally is just how one, how different students need to be, also how, you know, how similar we are, how we, we still like the same foods, you know, continents apart. Um, we mm-hmm. still waste time on the same things. Um, and in terms of research, um, it's also really cool just seeing, you know, how committed people can be to doing volunteer research uh, with people that they've never met before and probably never will in person. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned research, and I find that just in my own experience, research positions are normally dominated by upper university students, graduate students, that kind of thing. So what value have you seen providing younger students, sometimes in high school, um, with that kind of opportunity? Yeah, to a lot of members of our team, providing high schoolers and uh, you know, underclassmen with these research opportunities is our biggest, you know, I guess, unique selling for our biggest value add. And uh, I think by doing so, we're opening up, opening up so much opportunity um, for the world to see all these ideas because normally they they're pretty much ignored just because we assume they're not at that level yet and i think that's the wrong way of going about it because they have so much energy and so much um you know enthusiasm for trying to figure out these questions which are just as relevant to questions that you know older students might be asking so all the most important perspectives are generally the ones you know that we're forgetting in this case um by involving younger students Uh, we can really take advantage of um, all this wholesomeness and create mentoring opportunities for the students and researchers helping them and in the same vein uh, provide a great opportunity to do something um, you know online while quarantined for younger students. Mm -hmm. With some of the mentorship that I guess CBT is providing for a lot of underclassmen have you been able to see like some of them evolve and improve during the time that they've been in CBT and see their passions and their skills really um, blossom? Yeah, definitely. Um, For example, you know, I didn't know how to do any data visualization starting off, and a lot of people were in the same boat, but uh, we had a course startup, we have uh, seminars with, you know, experts at the top of their fields. Uh, And then for individual students in the mentoring programs, we've been making it more and more formal, so offering more and more opportunities. And we've seen students go from 
you know, not being able to code to doing some rigorous like statistical research um, you know, at Harvard University, where it was otherwise this wouldn't have been possible even for you know Harvard upperclassmen students. So I think um, you know this progression that we're doing is just another proof that you now we should try to give these opportunities to uh, as many uh, people that we can. Definitely, and a lot of the projects in CVT are about topics that normally aren't covered in mainstream news. So could you tell us a little bit about the projects that are pursued in CVT and? The type of impact that they aim to reach. So our summer cohort is just finishing and uh, really all the projects they really run through so many different topics so it really runs the, the gamut. Uh, so we can have pretty straightforward projects like seeing uh, what are factors that we need to consider to avoid a COVID-19 economic depression um, to how can we try to increase blood donations by looking at Twitter tweets to see what are factors that prevent you know young or diverse um, people from donating? And some of the the ones that have been particularly ignored, I think, uh, say by mainstream media, are uh, like COVID and climate change. Um, looking how xenophobia online has and continues to to change. And in the beginning, there was some coverage. Uh, we're also doing some uh, fact checking work. For example, fact checking the EPA. Uh, we have done some work on niche industries as well as larger ones so looking at the hospitality industry uh, looking at how news has been affected over of course misinformation and then sometimes um, even specific areas uh, i know this isn't that niche but new york city and south korea so with all of these projects and the research that you're pursuing with it and the data viz that you're getting from it um, after you kind of complete all of that where does this information go and how does it actually impact the public Mm -hmm. So most of our visualizations actually go to our partners because uh, we have non-disclosure agreements or MOUs with them. Um, but then we've been also been posting a lot of visualizations on Joint CVT and COVID Advice. So those are both Instagram accounts uh, where we're trying to educate, you know, again, our, sort of ourselves. So getting students to educate themselves in the communities online. And then also, of course, we have a website with a mailing list we're trying to continuously post on uh, online forums, um, anything from Discord to Reddit to uh, Tableau itself. And I guess with the pandemic, there's like no end in sight, really. Where do you see CBT headed? Because you mentioned that the mm -hmm. summer cohort is concluding, so a lot of the projects are concluded. Where do you see where the rest of it is going? Yeah, so we, in collaboration partnership with a few other organizations like Decipher and Simply Neuroscience, have to put together uh, an online research experiences for undergraduates. So this is a, another research program where uh, it's independent and we're pairing uh, applicants to uh, a lot of PIs uh, across the nation and uh, trying to, of course, make it international. And that's what we're trying to you know, support for academic research. Then when it comes to our informal research projects, a lot of them are containing like the blood donations project. And so we see uh, a great extracurricular for students in the fall. And then uh, we've also expanded to a greater umbrella organization called the Revna, which is Greek for research. Uh, and then within that, we have a, a couple of initiatives, which they no longer relate just to coronavirus or visualization, but um, again, more opportunities for students to educate themselves and their uh, communities. So you can check that out by, at Shorby slash Revna initiatives. Um, so for example, we have a coronavirus visualization community. We just had a hackathon. We're going to have a pandemic policy zone, so a competition where students can propose policy solutions to a lot of local problems. We have an intercollegiate discord to support all these students. 
uh, with an educational nonprofit coalition to uh, try to share all these resources that are now online and have always been online to high schoolers applying to college and really um, anyone who's currently in school, K through eight, um, grad students too, and panel to the people, uh, which aims to host conversations worth having on a lot of these topics. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, something that's coming up uh, recently is a gap year program or like a gap year research program. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, that fits into the online RU program uh, where we're getting uh, funding from alumni and different institutions uh, for students to do research assistant uh, work. And then for those that aren't interested in research, we're also pairing them up with a lot of the organizations that we're, uh, we currently have relationships with um, to try to, of course, uh, get busy and have a real impact um, over the semester. And youth organizations are no novelty these days. So what is your advice to undergrads who want to create an initiative that not only is just you know present on social media, but has an actual and real impact in the world? Mm -hmm. um, so for the first part of that, just creating initiative, um, just do it, right? Um, the, the worst thing that can happen is you can fail. Uh, and I think, you know, if you do the right steps, it's very easy to grow quickly. Um, so in order to utilize all this interest, um, you need to make sure that what people are working on tie really closely to uh, whatever your mission is, and that you, you ultimately see um, what people you are impacting. So in a sense, that's like looking at market research, so seeing uh, who exactly do you want involved and who do you want them to interact with and uh, what sort of systems are you using. Uh, so more pragmatically speaking, um, seeing how much time you can put into actually changing people's lives rather than making it an organization. And on that note, thank you so much, Lucas, for joining us today. Be sure to look into CBT, the social medias, and consider joining um, the community because you'd be able to benefit a lot from it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucas. Yeah, thank you so much. Lynn.